welcome to episode five of the Future Champions Golf Podcast. Uh, we are very excited to have Brandy Jackson from Brandy Jackson Golf on today. Of course, we have Connor as always, and uh, Brandy is Brandy's a uh, college golf recruiting expert. She's a former LPGA Tour player and has a lot of awesome stuff going on in the game of golf, and uh, we look forward to talking to you. So, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with y'all and share what's going on and see if I can answer some questions and just do what I do most days. Yes. Yeah, so how did you uh, how did you get started on this journey with with Brandy Jackson Golf? Um, so I had played professionally for about eight years and actually had had a pretty good year of uh LPGA status back in 2009. I was just on the bubble of having full status and uh, made most of the cuts that year, but never really finished quite high enough to really do enough. And I finished, I think, 126 on the money list and, you know, 125 gets you at least some status for the next year. And but I was feeling pretty good and had no plans to not be playing anymore. I mean, like I said, that was my eighth season, maybe. Went back to Q school that year and then just didn't play great and had come across one of the larger recruiting companies out there that were looking for people in smaller smaller sports to do things while they were still traveling and actively playing and doing these talks about recruiting. And, you know, I had no idea it had become a business and that there was so much need for all of this. And so I just kind of reached out, not really thinking much about it. Before I knew it, I was on my way to Chicago to learn how to do public speaking, which was everything that I hated. I was nothing about what, what who I was at that time. It's what hurt me through my golf career. I was horrible with that kind of stuff. I was very much an introvert, very much like, uh, just did not handle that kind of stuff well. Interviews, talking, speaking, meeting people. That stuff was just not something I did very well at all. So I'm on a plane to go um, kind of learn about all that and start working with them. And the plan was to do it and still keep playing. And as the year went on, I was back on the Futures Tour, Symmetra Tour, and I'd have these events to do for them. And I just started kind of gravitating more towards doing that and kind of got an interest in it. And before I knew it, I just wasn't playing anymore and, had, you know, kind of lost the Really, I mean, I guess in a way, I kind of lost the passion for it and just started developing it for this and, and then worked uh, with them for about a year and a half and then started my own business doing it. Uh, it's been almost 12 years now. So it was 2011, I guess it was, that started Brandy Jackson Golf as a way to be a little more hands-on with things, more involved, make bigger connections, better connections with the college coaches, just to be able to do my own thing with it. Um and so we're with the boys and the girls for four or five years initially, and for the last five-ish years of it probably has been just strictly on the girls. And that's been great to just be able to focus on the girl side of things and, and you know, get to know the women's coaches in that world and the girls and the ups and downs of all that. So that's kind of how it got me to this point now. That's a, that's, that's a really cool journey. Um, I actually was curious. Um, my mom is a big uh, – a believer in like the see and eat fill and eat type deal um which is kind of why chris and i kind of started you know like this podcast is because we didn't feel like there was enough like informational uh material available uh to players did you see a need um when it came to helping young um, athletes on their uh college recruiting journey for golf did I mean I didn't really 100% buy into it initially when I worked for the, the recruiting company I worked for it kind of did feel a little 
maybe a little transactional. It wasn't very hands-on. It wasn't very involved. And you could still see the need, but you also saw that a lot of coaches just, you know, they really had their trusted resources. And, you know, I wanted to get to know the players better. I never wanted to teach them. I never wanted to be necessarily involved with the instruction part of things. So I always tried to keep that kind of separate and worked a little bit on some player development stuff kind of early on. Um, but I did. And it's funny, I think I sometimes continue to get surprised when I do these initial consults, how much, even though this wealth of information is out there, I do a lot to try to share content. There's several other people who started similar businesses. There was only a few of us when I started uh, mine, there was about four or five other guys. Now there is a lot more, which is awesome. It only makes it more of a, you know, common thing. And a lot of us know each other well. Um, so you've got a lot more help out there in content, but you still see how much these families just don't know where to begin and what to do. And some are using it for the connections and the, you know, they know how much this world does work on who, you know, and, and that kind of stuff, but just the, the misunderstanding and the miseducation that some of them have been given and, and they just don't even know where to start and what to do. So you definitely see that need as much as the, you know, the internet and there's so much information, it's still so hard to filter through what's needed for you specifically. It's so different for everybody. Um, and then some just don't even know to go seek it and look for it. So they just kind of go straight to a source and, and start there. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's only continued to be needed and um, grown since I started doing this for sure. Absolutely. And I feel like there is a, at least for me growing up and, and like getting in my culture, and I did feel like there was a massive transactional feel to it. Um, where, you know, you can pay these big recruiting companies, you know, like NCSR tried to recruit me at like one point, um, Silk, all of these, all of these different types of very transactional based. And it's kind of, you know, you get slapped with a generic profile, you get it slapped on the internet, you, you know, they'll send out mass emails to coaches for you. But it's, yeah. you know, it doesn't feel genuine to me. Yeah. It just feels like a means to an end. It's, you know, for me, I, I took it upon myself to do the, you know, like the personal route. And I went and contacted a whole bunch of coaches myself. And, you know, I feel like we all get kind of lost at the start. I, did, I didn't know what to do. I mean, my my entire recruiting theory was I'm going to email every D1 coach in California and see what happens. And that's yeah. exactly what I did. You know, I drew up a golf resume. Uh, I sent off my academics. was like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm playing in these tournaments. What I mean, you know, where for you as a master recruiter, where do you start these kids who might have no idea what they're doing? Yeah. Where do you start? Well, and I do want to, what you said about kind of the recruiting companies, um, make sure that, I mean, they definitely have a, a huge advantage in a lot of cases, especially certain sports. So not to knock on them by any means, because the company I worked for was great, but exactly a lot of what you said, and it, it does kind of tie into where I start with players and what my job and role is, is to help them do it themselves. And ultimately, I'm very transparent initially that I am not here to actually make it really easier for you, to be honest. I'm kind of here to make it tougher for you because you've got to put the work in. You've got to, you can't send these half written emails out. You can't have a resume that's half done. You can't expect coaches just to come to you. And, you know, some are lucky and, and play well enough and, and they do get the, you know, get the, the coaches coming to them. But even within that, I just had a call with a player who had that happen pretty good player. And she had coaches reach out to her back on June 15th and she knew nothing to do. They called her set of calls. She knew no, she didn't have anything together. She didn't know what questions to ask. She didn't know that she needed to continue following up with them. 
And so she's lost all that interest in them. And it was some big D1 programs initially. And she just didn't even know and wasn't expecting it. Um, so that is, you know, everybody does start at kind of different points. And even like freshmen and sophomores, I get a lot of them coming to me. The process has changed this new June 15th date. We've definitely seen how much it's changed the process compared to 2021 and all the earlier years before that really took got kind of kicked in. So you're really seeing a little bit more of a true start to the process. But a lot of freshmen and sophomores, if they're on a path to be a higher level D1 player, they need to be actively doing stuff. And then you get a lot that really not until later, you know, later on, do they really even decide they want to play college golf or do are their scores and resume good enough to start doing anything without it being a little bit of a waste of time. So a lot of times it's really kind of depending on where they're at grad year wise and where their resume matches up to that as to when we start. And then it is, you know, initially just starting with, you know, if they don't have a resume together, getting it together. If they do have one, making sure it's what the coaches need to see and it represents them well and starting with intro emails and doing the research and making things very specific and individual to the coaches they're reaching out to. Um, and then kind of going from there in terms of the communication and, and updates and, and prepping for phone calls and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and it, there's just so much of it is what I love about it. And it's, I, I definitely didn't buy into this initially, but it's something I have learned to really try to like grow within what I do is the professional skills that you learn from this and the things that come out of learning how to do this stuff right and learning how to even just correct your own emails or again, just learn to prepare for a, a phone call and start to just create a little bit of that because it's only going to help them better when they go to college golf. If you're doing this for them and they don't have any accountability for it, then they're going to struggle when they get to college golf and can't do these things on their own then. Um, so that is, again, a big part of what I try to do with them as much as possible. Uh, sometimes the expectations and, you know, when you are being paid to do something from a service perspective, you have to kind of mold a little bit around that. But I try to be very transparent initially on what my role is, which is to just be the, kind of behind the scenes kind of person and everything really be the, the player doing as much as possible. Right. Definitely. I feel like these connections that we make as players and as recruiters can stick with us for, uh, you know, like a long time. I still have weekly phone calls with my old uh, assistant coach uh, who will call me and, you know, like we'll talk about opening like a sake business, you know, like we'll talk about, uh what's going on in the golf world you know like we'll talk about his new team and how how the dynamics are i feel like these connections last a lifetime mm -hmm. uh i want to gear towards your um, lpga career because obviously you are our first pro on the show um you've played in you have a runner-up finish in the us am um you've played in two us women's opens um you talked a little bit about uh being in how how being um, an introvert actually hurt um, your um, your your LPGA career. Could you mm -hmm. inform us as to why that sure. was? Like, are, are most of them kind of just extroverts, happy-go-lucky, or no? And for me, part of it's, and a lot of people probably wouldn't believe that I, I'm probably half introvert, half extrovert. I'm a very weird mix of stuff. And honestly, if you knew me at different phases of my life, you probably saw me for different, even different pieces of that. For me, it was as much just my anxiety for stuff. Um, it's something I did not realize I had that bad when I was playing and just never being like I had my parents were awesome, super supportive, were always there, you know, couldn't have asked for a better um, set of parents to go through this. 
but I didn't, it's why I love what I do. I didn't have somebody that did kind of push me to try to do things better. I just happened to be pretty good at the game of golf and I played volleyball, played basketball and everything kind of came easy in that sense. And I just never developed that structure and work ethic and that ability to, from one stage to another, realize that, you know, I had to do better with things and I had to learn more maturity with things, both on and off the golf course. And some of that is just learning how to speak for yourself and how to talk and answer questions and be comfortable doing those things. And, you know, we'd have these pro-am parties we'd have to go to. And I mean, that kind of stuff just gave me just nightmares for having to do that, especially if I had to go into them by myself. I just didn't all that stuff. So everything was just always this like anxious ball of just nerves with everything that I did. And, you know, that's just where, you know, what I love about getting to do this and being able to try at a little bit earlier age to get these girls to be a little bit more comfortable with some of that because it is such a bigger long-term thing, even if they don't plan on playing professional golf. Um, but for me, yeah, I mean, if I had, I had a great college coach as well. We, we talk about it, you know, I, I think he probably could have pushed me to even do more than what I should have. Um, but it was kind of a weird situation. He was like, you know, you were just, you're just good at what you did and kind of just let me do my own thing. And I probably would have rebelled at that point had he tried a different way, though. Now I look back and I'm like, oh, I wish he would have just like set me down and said, no, Brandy, we're going to do it this way. But I probably, you know, and I think he kind of knew that, too. So you can only say that to a certain degree. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, and I think out there you get, I mean, you get a lot, I mean, you get big mix and probably a lot are probably more introverted than extroverted, but you just learn how to be more comfortable in those settings. And I never worked with a mental coach. I had a great one that wanted to work with me early on. I just didn't, again, I didn't use my resources. I didn't take things serious enough and really see that I couldn't just do it on my own. It wasn't a selfish, I thought I was that good. I just was scared to do those things, scared to ask for help and, you know, add more expectation and that kind of stuff. So is where you do get a lot to have the the mental side of things working on stuff just to help you get a little bit tougher and and just learn to be a little bit more mature and um handle those things better and i just definitely didn't have that and can't blame anybody but myself um you know some of those opportunities were there i just didn't take advantage of them that is a fascinating insight and it's it's <laughs> very unique i don't think i've met I, I mean, anybody who's had a seven-year um, LPGA career, <laughs> arguably very successful in their own right, still say, hey, look, I really wish, you know, like I did things different. You were like oh, a yeah. multiple-time All-American, you know, like back at Furham. Um, and it's super fascinating because I feel like that that mental side definitely is that next step. And, yeah. um, you know, like we talked with Rick Sessinghouse uh, 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 last week, who was uh, Colin yeah. Morikawa's like mental coach. I felt myself learning way too much than what I felt like I should have been. Um, and I will definitely take, I've definitely started to take some of it into uh, the future. Um, so obviously over um, that LPJ career, did you feel like you almost crafted a persona to match that media, you know, like that media expectation or, because obviously, you know, you are doing a lot of uh, media you know, like interviews and you're obviously in front of a camera a lot, you're on TV. It's this big expectation. Did, did you feel like you almost lost a little bit of yourself trying to turn into somebody that the tour wanted you to be? 
You sort, I mean, it, there is a little bit of a struggle, especially then. I mean, it's been almost 20 years ago since I first turned pro and started that. I mean, the tour itself has changed. I mean, it was when you had the Natalie Galbus era with her doing a lot of stuff. Um, I actually was an Adidas-sponsored athlete at that time and was on the lower totem pole of it for sure, but was tailor-made Adidas. And so saw a lot of what she did. Um, so there was a lot of that that you, you do. I mean, it's a weird identity kind of thing because um, – you know, you're in a lot of ways, you are, you know, still trying to kind of figure out where you fit and who you are. You know, you've kind of gone through college and got that, but you were still on a team. So you kind of go from junior golf to then kind of college golf being a team. And then you're back to just being kind of out there by yourself again to figure stuff out. And, and yeah, and trying to figure out kind of how you fit in with that. Um, and I think if I had been full LPGA status a little bit more consistently, but especially when you're going back and forth, that's what's hard. Cause I got full LPGA status coming right out of college, went straight out as a rookie. Um, my first year out on tour, I played a few future tour events. I played the U S open as an amateur that year and then went to school, got full status. And so, I mean, going out as somebody who already kind of felt way behind in terms of, I said, just maturity it was. And then you go right back to, you know, if you don't play well enough, I mean, you're, you hate to say you're a nobody, but I mean, you're right back to just, you know, where everybody else started from back on, you know, the futures tour playing again, working your way up. And luckily after a couple of years, had some good seasons out there and finished top 10 on the money list two years. And then you're back to the LPJ tour again. And it, so that was very tough. I mean, that back and forth trying to figure out, you know, where you fit in and, you know, how can you make, you know, something of yourself both on and off the golf course is, is was tough. Um, as opposed to, you know, the ones you, when you can consistently stay out there, you start to kind of develop that a little bit easier. When you're going back and forth and your confidence is shot and you kind of feel like you're on a high and you, you know, there it's, you're just right back down to the bottom of the totem pole. It's a tough thing to kind of battle with that. And, and yeah, the, the media piece, again, back then we didn't have social media. We didn't have all that stuff. So I think you didn't have to feel as forced to do some of those things. So then when it did happen, it was kind of a little bit of a shock of like, oh, my gosh, I got to sit on this camera. And then everybody at home sees it. And I remember going through the USAM. They made fun of my accent on TV. I made fun of it, but they gave me a hard time about my accent and how I said stuff. And that week was such a blur. You just didn't realize what was going on until after the fact. But you know, when people were seeing it and that was a time when you, you know, unless something like that happened, you didn't see people for what they were going on, you know, in their daily life. Now you see it with social media. So I think people are a little bit more comfortable with being on TV and on camera and doing all that than we were back then where when those things came up, you just, you know, they do, they stick a camera in your face or they're, you know, you're walking down the fairway with this camera, like following you and you're trying to act normal, but you know, you're also, you know, it's just like, do I say something funny or do I just kind of keep walking? That stuff was always like super awkward. That is very, I feel like I, I would always be super awkward. I, I would definitely oh, say something so I would absolutely regret. I'd be like, yeah. oh, well, actually, here's what I ate for breakfast today. And yeah. um, so that know, was one of the funniest moments with the USAM was it was, so we ended up going to a um, playoff and it was the first playoff hole and it was all this drama behind it because I was three down with three holes to go. And then we had this big rain delay, go back out, or we'd already hit our tee shots. I think our second shot and this was right before the storm like hit and I was walking down the fairway or something in the uh I think it was just a spectator they happened to catch me on camera doing a spectator asked what I hit and I said a nine iron and it came out so country and I mean they the, I think it was Judy Rankin that did it and I her and I talked about it later on you could tell well you can tell she's from even though by it said Belton, South Carolina you can tell where she's from and I was like 
So again, yeah, stuff like that. That once it happens and it just kind of makes you like, you know, makes me more nervous about it. But now I've just kind of, I don't know, I just learned to embrace it and do a lot of social media, do a lot of stuff, done golf channel episodes and stuff like that, that I just don't even think about it anymore now. I didn't even know you had an accent. (laughs) (laughs) It is not nearly what it used to be. It is actually much more tame than what it used to be. But I mean, South Carolina. Carolina, You're always awkward too. So that's all. Yeah, I am always. I am though. Like people just don't understand. (laughs) They just don't get, or they don't really understand what goes on in my brain as I'm talking and doing stuff and the things that I'm thinking about, or as soon as I leave a conversation, the things that I am like, Oh my gosh, should I really say that? Or like, it's just, it's crazy. That's so funny. Mm -hmm. So with your, with your, you help your students or your, your clients a lot with, with the mental game side and some of your experiences and what you went through or do do a little, I mean, I certainly try to, I mean, I've got several mental coaches that I recommend girls to, especially when they're really struggling. I mean, of course, a lot of them will come to me because I am a female. I get that. I get the emotional piece of things. I get what it was like to be in that position. Um, Hopefully the spring actually getting ready to add one of my former players to the business so that she even more fresh into having been through all that can really kind of relate to them. So more from a mentor perspective with that and just a little bit of giving them that feeling that, Hey, I know what it's like. I was there. Like it's going to be okay. But when they really do need the ongoing help or they need somebody that can help give them uh, exercises and that are experts in that field, for sure. We uh, you have several players that I've referred or that are already working with somebody, um, but try to fill a little bit of those gaps. But I mean, I'm big on, I do what I do for a reason and do the recruiting stuff. And that's one reason why I've even gotten away from kind of the player development side of things. Yeah. Can I help with some of those for sure? And can kind of, you know, touch into some of that, but a lot of that, you know, there's reasons people are good at what they do. And, and, you know, especially when you really need that expert help with it um, versus maybe just a little, you know, word here, or there, just a conversation with me or something. Um, always, always happy to recommend, you know, the girls go see somebody and, and see it on a more regular basis or at least, you know, something initially or something like that. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I have, uh, so many good stories from college. I am really curious to kind of hear your take on, uh, obviously I don't really know where Furham is. Furman. I'm assuming mm-hmm. it's Furman. Furman. Yeah. I don't even know well, what the name of the, of the university. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's what's funny. Furman is a very unique, um set up because i mean it's one of the top women's golf one of the top women's golf programs of the country i mean it's a d1 school it's a liberal arts school it is a small school it's only 25 to 2700 students it's here in greenville south carolina so it's one reason i was so familiar with it growing up donnie pepper betsy king beth daniel some of your best lpga players all went there and they were out on tour when i was younger and i went to a lpga girls golf camp up there and met them and I came home that day and said, I want to go to Furman and be a professional golfer. And I was like eight years old at the time, maybe nine. And I mean, legit from that day on, that's all I ever said. Um, a big Clemson fan, grew up Clemson family, still a huge Clemson Tiger fan, even after this last Saturday's embarrassing defeat. Well, <laughs> um, Clemson didn't have a women's golf team. They just started it eight, ten years ago or so. So they didn't have women's golf. So it was something I kind of never really knew about anyways, being able to have an option there. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really, um, high academic school, but it is a smaller school and on a D one athletic side of things, it's just, it's not going to be as, as well known, but if within the women's golf side of things, it has been a kind of women's powerhouse of 
typically always be in the top 40, top 50, um, producing a lot of um, professional players back then and then continues to do so. Um, but yeah, outside of the women's golf world, and they've had some good soccer teams. We actually, one of the best like uh, major league soccer players or uh, Clint Dempsey came out of Furman, same time I was there, was a really good soccer player um, and some others. And, uh, but else, you know, on a big national scale, women's golf is kind of their biggest like representation from an athletic department um, on a national compete against the best NCAA teams in the country. Cause I mean, we went to, UGA tournament and, you know, South Carolina's tournament and Tennessee's tournament. We played all the big ACC, SEC tournaments um, and teams and we're competing, you know, with them and against them. Fascinating. Yeah, that's a, that, that is a powerhouse program. I always feel like each school is kind of known for something that little bit different. I mean, my first school was known for nursing. There was no yeah. athletic side and I was like, yeah, that's eh, whatever. I get to play D1. Um, and, um, but Chris, I kind of wanted to kick this over to you. Uh, I wanted your take on your favorite tournament round uh, in college and what made it so memorable. Favorite tournament round in college? Um, well, that's hard because I didn't play that great in college, so I don't really have one from my time at SDSU. Uh, or like, I mean, maybe, maybe or like funny stories on the road? Well, Sandpiper, I think, was fun. Um, that's why we had that Sandpiper FCG tournament for so many years because we played there in February and the wind, it was raining. It was blowing 40 miles an hour. Uh, There's a par three. I know I was just telling the story the other day. It's like 220 yards, elevated tee, all by the water, right by the ocean. And the wind was blowing 40 off the right. And the best tee shot in our group for both rounds that day, because it's two rounds in one day, was on the, the next hole's tee box. And we were all hitting flop shots to it. Like, it was crazy. Anyway, I think the best best score I saw on that hole was double. And uh, so that was, you know, so then when we did start Future Champions, I knew I wanted to host a tournament there. So that's probably my best actually in college tournament story. So that's all you uh, got. Brandy, do you have any funny stories from like a college round? Anybody? Um, I mean, my probably favorite, like best memory, um, from a positive playing kind of perspective was my senior year for NCAA for East regionals. Um, actually had a, I think I started the day with a triple and ended up shooting 66 to win regionals. And so my scorecard had a triple and still shot 66. Um, so that was pretty cool. And that's what allowed me to go to uh, NCAA nationals as an individual my senior year. Um, so to have, I think I, it was one of the early, it was early on, I think when I had the triple, um, I vaguely, I might know my parents remember it better than I do. Uh, so that from a college, you know, obviously the USAM was a, a huge memorable week. And again, my semifinal match three down with three holes to go and came back to win it to make it into the finals was a pretty cool thing. Um, uh, you know, funny stuff. God, those are just endless. Always. I do my podcast episodes with the coaches and ask them some of these stories. And I'm always like, God, what would I answer to some of this stuff? Because, um, <laughs> You know, a lot of them definitely, I know a lot of people say this, but definitely a lot of things I can't share, um, but lots of, I can't think, oh, I do have a good funny one that I know my coach actually, I think he brought it up on the podcast. So we were at UGA's tournament, either my junior or senior year, and I had, we had just gotten new shoes and Foot Joy had just come out with their kind of more like cushion bottom, like insoles and shoes. And I decided to wear them. I think it might've been the second day of the tournament. And I get out on the range and everything I keep hitting is thin. And I'm like this is weird. Like, there's no way this has anything to do with my new shoes. 
So, I, you know, I think I went ahead and changed that day and was like, just in case I go back to my original pair. And they were, they were these, like, they were supposed to be this like extra cushion. So I played, uh, I guess played pretty good or whatever. And so then the next day I was like, all right, I'm determined that this is nothing to do with the shoes. Sure enough, put them on the range. Same thing. Every single shot was just thin. And I'm like, this can't be, but we realized, I mean, we looked at the difference in the shoes and I mean, because of the extra like cushion, I did have like an extra half an inch and, you know, and I, I still don't remember if I played during the round or what it was and ended up playing really good. And, but it was something that was just crazy. And we blamed it. We definitely blamed it on the shoes. And I think it was a legit thing because like I said, when you looked at them, you could tell a difference because they had this, like, they were made to have this like extra soft, like cushion in them. And you don't think something little like that could change. But I mean, when you add an extra half an inch to your height, you're not used to having to like, you know, get down to the golf ball that much. And the whole time I was just like, I swear this cannot be what it is. I was determined to prove it wrong. And, um, I think maybe I learned my lesson the first day and, and switched back or something like that. So that was golf really, is, me of a, golf really is a game of inches. Yeah. Yes, and it's a superstition as well. The most superstition. So whether it was the, the extra half an inch or if it was just in my head, I still to this day, I still say it was the, the extra half an inch. My coach, I think, still says it was in my head, but I still swear it was the extra half an inch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I still remember I was in Texas in El Paso. We were playing. It was our it was our first round. We It was my first tournament in as a transfer. Uh, we were playing uh, Whistling Dunes, I think, and – uh, we had our team of five and we get traveling and our number three guy starts to feel a little uneasy, you know, kind of, Hey coach, I have an upset stomach. He's like, all right, just, you know, don't look at your phone too much in the bus. Um, you know, it's a five hour drive. Like we get there, uh, we play our practice round. He's getting progressively worse. Uh, coach just tells him to kind of take it easy, you know, get up in the morning, see how you feel. Uh, no big deal. Uh, we rock up the morning of the first round for the, for the 36 whole day. Um, he is vomiting uncontrollably just everywhere. Um, he's white in the face, but this, he is the quintessential, uh, fighter. He, he's on the range. He's hitting balls. He's ready to go. He's weaker than anything you've ever seen. He's, you know, can hardly pick up a club. Um, he he's so stubborn he actually we actually get onto the course and he's still ready to play he's as we're driving out in carts he's vomiting out the side oh, of the cart goodness and we finally get out there and he's he's ashy white and coach is like you're not playing you're yeah. done you're just go home and um he actually fainted on the course so we had to call yes. in a helicopter before the start of the round <laughs> He got medevac to the hospital. Poor kid had appendicitis. Oh, goodness. Oh, no. So, That's crazy. Of all the times to get appendicitis, he wound up getting it on the first round of our biggest tournament of the year, our, our first tournament. Our That's number three guy. terrible. So he's, he's in the hospital getting operated on. We're out there trying to play around the golf and trying not to laugh our guts out. And obviously, you know, we're, we're still worried sick about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And it was just the most wild circumstance. And we still ended up coming fourth. with, yeah. I mean, And we were playing four for four uh, instead of playing, you know, the typical five yeah. for four. It yeah. was just one of the most ridiculous things. And he, he was. He, he, was a, he was a football player. Didn't really know what pain was. We would yeah. just play through anything because coach would tell him to. 
It's like, dude, it's golf. It's not yeah. football. You don't yeah. you don't have to play. If you have appendicitis, feel free. And you don't really get a lot of get breaks. Checked yeah. Out. yeah, you still kind of got to keep walk. You got to be able to walk from one hole to another. You don't just get to go sit on the bench after a couple of plays and, and just kind of show up and uh, a little different scenario there. Yeah. Oh my goodness! It was absolutely crazy. It was it was ten it was ten hours and he was and he was ready to grit it out. And I was like, dude, you're gonna end up dying. And apparently when he got into the hospital, they, they were, I, I think the doctors were like, yeah, you were about a half hour from your I'm appendix bursting. Yeah. So it was just one of those where it was just. Well, that's where it's always so crazy and not getting super serious on that note about it. But that's one thing that definitely struggle a lot with now with the injuries and the withdrawals and everybody being sick and stuff. And just where that boundary is between, you know, pushing through, I mean. I was sick once in college, well, the only throughout my entire like junior college professional career. I think I had one time that I was so sick and it was actually a very similar thing. I threw up all night long and was in the uh, the ER, the local whatever, the next morning having IVs pumped in me because I had been so sick and couldn't play the first two days. And that was probably the only time I ever missed a golf tournament for injury, sickness, anything in like you know, 15 year, 20 year career or whatever. And you see so much of it now. And there's so many, there's a lot of legit reasons behind it. Overuse, these injuries, you know, hitting off mats and, you know, the higher swing speeds without the, the ability to kind of um, to have the, the strength to withstand all these different reasons or whatever. But it is just so hard. You see it so much more and you want to, you know, you want to feel for the players. Because again, if he had not gotten in, in time, you know, it could have been a big issue, but then it's also like, well, where is that line between just tough it up, you know, tough it out and keep going. It's such a different world when it comes to that now. And, you know, it's just hard to find that, that, that in between of true injuries and sickness and, you know, all of those things. It's just, it's a very, it's been an interesting concept to, uh, to kind of analyze from an outside perspective when that happens now. Especially with, you know, like you talk about you have an obligation to your school because obviously you've been put on scholarship you're playing for your school it's a big deal you know you know for me i i still remember my my freshman debut we got new shoes and coach wouldn't let us wear the shoes uh until we played in a tournament yeah and i didn't qualify for any of of the tournaments during the fall won our spring qualifier for first out but i hadn't worn the shoes everybody else had and it was one of those where I walked off the course. We played the farms here in San Diego. It's 7,000 yards. It's hilly. Uh, I walked off the course, and I had just blister sacks, blister. just the mm-hmm. size of golf balls on both my feet, under my toes. It was not fun. And I, and I told Coach, I was like, I need to go see somebody because yeah. I'm not prepared to yeah. walk another 18 holes. Um, you know, like, but it is. But it's, you know, where do we draw the line between our own mm-hmm. personal health and, you know, our obligation to this school that has invested, frankly, a lot of money in us, Yeah. you know, and if, and if we're going to, you know, all of a sudden wimp out, I mean, I know like a lot of coaches, you know, like Chris and I have talked about this where, you know, like say you quit and walk off in the middle of a golf round, it's like, you're just not going to play again. Yeah. You know, and it's balancing this pressure of, you know, what am I allowed to do? Where can I draw the line? You know, if that might end up being a problem, you know, like some point down the road where it's like, I might have to put my personal interest above that of the team, but that might end up costing yeah. me my spot. It's, it's, it's tough to draw that line. Uh, I'm curious to actually get your take Brandy on, you know, you've had an extensive career, both in college, junior and uh, you know, like professional where, and you spoke a little bit about that, uh, the individual to team, back to individual. Um, where, I mean, 
golf really is that this weird in between sports of this individual into team, it, it, you know, like in the individual, how do you prep players to kind of prepare for that? Yeah. So we talk a lot about that and I get asked quite a bit, you know, I do a spring series with all of my seniors to just try to help them prepare a little bit for that transition and kind of understand. Um, I think the girl side is definitely much different than the boys side when you get to college and how that team atmosphere is. And, and there's certain things that you can't prepare for. A lot of the college coaches will kind of tell you that too, that like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. Like, you don't know what you're walking into from, you know, even if you've been on your visit and you met some of the girls, you still just don't quite know. But it, you know, it's it's just even the kind of that putting your personal health or your personal preferences, uh, uh, you know, ahead of what the team may want to do, even when it comes down to like where you eat. You know, I had one girl that was on a team and they would eat a lot of fast food and she couldn't have, you know, certain things. And she, you know, where all that it's it's, it's such a weird weird thing, um, both from kind of a personality perspective. I mean, you have a, a surprising amount of kind of mean girl mentality on teams and a lot of drama and a lot of, yeah, you know, cause you're comp- not too many sports. Are you competing against each other within the team? I mean, you know, you may have your backup quarterback obviously wants to beat you so that they can be the starting quarterback. But outside of that, there's really no competition as much on most other teams or your goal is to work together to be a team with golf. It is, such a competitiveness among each other to just earn the spot on the team to go to the tournaments. Then even when you're in tournaments, you're still, there's still an individual component to, you may go into a playoff against your own teammate for the win if you both play really good. So it's a very weird mind kind of game and a hard adjustment to go from junior golf into college and want to do what's best for you. And you kind of feel like you know what's good for you and both adapting to the coaches changes of things. Um, as well as the team, and it's it's hard. I mean, it, it it's it's definitely a very tough transition. I mean, any high school to college sport is tough, but you've already kind of had that environment a little bit at a high school level going into college, and it's just a whole new experience. And I know, I mean, I know the guys struggle with it. The girls really struggle with it hard. I get a lot of freshmen coming in fall semester and the things they come back with and how hard it's been. I just I feel for them, and um, I know you know I know it's tough for me. I mean, we had quite the diverse team and mix of personalities and, and totally different approaches to the game of golf and work and study. And it's hard not to be frustrated with other people and it's, it's tough. So we, you know, definitely try to at least just understand that it's going to be hard. Um, I don't know. I really don't know that there is a way to outside of playing another sport fairly competitively and learning what it was like to be on a true team up to a point of, through high school, if at all possible, um, I do see those girls maybe manage it a little bit better who have played another sport pretty consistently. Um, but otherwise, I mean, there's only so much you can do to prepare for it just because, you know, it, it's just how it's going to be. And then it's very specific to the girls you end up with on the team and, and the coach. And obviously my job with what I do is try to help get as good of a fit as possible. But even that's hard. I mean, you know. You get a very short little snippet of what it's going to be like, and, and that even changes before you get there a lot of times. Um, so it is. It's it's a weird, mind-boggling kind of transition that there's only so much you can do to, you know, to prepare. And, and I think the, I said, the biggest thing, I think, is just as much as I don't like to put this cloud over college golf by any means and make a, put a big damper on it, getting them to understand I had somebody that you know asked well is this how it's going to be you know we, we deal with this on the high school team and we're dealing with this girl here you know it can't be like that in college golf and I'm like oh you just wait and see 
Like you just don't even know. And, and again, it's not to put a damper on it, but it's just to say like you get parents involved in college golf just as much. You get mean girl mentality. You get cattiness. You get the drama. Oh, it's still just, just, just as much, you know, it's just, um, and a lot of college coaches right now feel like they're limited on what they can regulate because, you know, if they get somebody on the team, that's, that's causing an issue, but that, you know, sometimes that those parents go to the administration. And so coaches are on a thin line for how much they get to, you know, some of the parents are like, why can't the coach just kind of nip it in the bud? And I'm like, it's not as easy as that because a lot of times they've got a lot of red tape to have to, you know, to keep up. Um, to not be able to do and sometimes have to allow certain things to kind of play out certain ways um, just to keep their jobs. And it's, it's tough for sure. They, a lot of coaches talk about that now and, and how hard that is for them. Brandy, do you see a lot of players transfer? I mean, it's definitely gotten more and more frequent because the process is a little bit easier. And I think these last couple of years, you did just because a lot of decisions during COVID were made without the normal, typical process. So, I mean, you had a lot of girls who made and guys who made decisions without even getting to go to campus and do anything. Um, so you had that. Um, so, you know, you could see a little bit of understanding even within on both sides of things. It's like, hey, like, you know, we really didn't have any way to know this because of COVID stuff. The transfer portal does. And I mean, there I think there are a lot of legit reasons, you know, to to do it and see it happen. And then a lot of it is, you know, the wrong reasons for it. It definitely makes coaches, you know, really kind of have to think about why is somebody in the transfer portal, but it's just, you know, as much as a coach doesn't want somebody maybe to leave the team, then they also need the transfer portal when they need somebody. So it's, it's uh, kind of a um, love hate relationship with the transfer portal because you hate that it's kind of easy in some ways, because it allows somebody on your team to just kind of dip out when it gets tough. But then when you do need somebody, it makes it a little easier for you just to like kind of hop into the portal, you know, do a little bit of searching and, and contact some players to find somebody to replace them. Yeah, I mean, I am I'm actually currently still in uh, the transfer portal. It's my second time in the transfer portal. Um, but kind of the same thing. It's like my first time was COVID uh, and I'm a chemical engineer by trade. And so I kind of needed to find a school that could take it and then. Now the reason is my head, my head coach got fired and my uh, my assistant coach left, so it was like See, yeah, I kind of yeah. lost I kind of lost all reason to stay at that school and it wasn't anything. I mean, half our team ended up either quitting or transferring. Uh, yeah, and it was just one of those weird things that you know, again, it is it is very difficult to discern why somebody might be in the portal, you know, like without asking all the right questions. Yeah, and it is I you know I I got a lot of stigma the first time I went in the portal, but you know, my head coach actually recommended it. He's like, hey, look, you know, like you're an engineer. If you can find a school yeah. that's better for you, then do it. Like, yeah. I'm not going to hold you back. And, uh, you know, you, you can still play. I, I think a lot of people don't realize, though, is that when you are in the portal, under normal circumstances, you are completely cut off from the team. It is, it is like a one and done. You are, you do not like work out with the team anymore. You don't practice with the team anymore. You go to class until you find a school yeah. and then you're out. Like yeah. it is like if you put in your, it's a very serious, like, I, I know we're mm -hmm. talking about it very lightheartedly, but it is a monumental decision that, you know, you have to come to after a lot of thought of, yeah. you know, is this school not the right fit? Am I ready to give up? You know, and some people don't find like another home. Some people, if, you know, yeah. if they're struggling in college golf and don't get out of the transfer portal, they're just going to have to drop out of 
of, of like college athletics altogether. So these are all things to consider. I've been very lucky, yeah. you know, I've found, um, you know, like another school and I'm talking to a couple for, uh, you know, like the future. And it's, it's hard when, you know, you might just have to give up collegiate sports altogether. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a big decision. And I think that comes down to finding the right fit coming into college the first time around. Yeah. It, yeah, it definitely is. I had one that almost happened to, and she ended up missing a semester by just not being able to figure it out in time. It was a tough situation. Um, but, we, you know, I kind of walked through that with them to understand that, yeah, the logistics of the process transferring is a much easier, but the decision, the timing, the repercussions and all that is still what it is. Because, you know, when do you decide to tell your coach? Because the earlier you do it, the more time you have to figure it out. But yet, like you said, you get cut off from stuff. So there's a lot to consider. And you don't know what's out there until you do it. And if you're on pretty good scholarship money and, and scholarship's a big thing, you throw yourself out there and you may not be able to find somewhere that has enough scholarship money to take you that matches up to everything that you need. And it is, it's tough. I've gone through it as much as every time I take on kind of a transfer situation, I'm like, I'm not going to do this again because it's, it's some of, been my, some of my most stressful things. But, you know, there, there's, again, there's justified reasons for it. There's just truly help that's needed when it comes down to it. And, and I had one that was really a tough situation. And, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's hard to, um, it's a very, very tough, tough time. Um, again, like I said, sometimes it's understood and you just need to go somewhere else for, for reasons, but it still doesn't make it easy. Right. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Brandy, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute You're pleasure. Welcome. Please check her out, uh, Brandy Jackson Golf. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and it's been great talking thanks. to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. All righty guys. I, um, until next time. <laughs>